um, 1 Samuel 17. We are in the last stretch of our series, Shattered Dreams. And um, if you're a guest with us for the first time, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. And there's a connection card in your bulletin if you'll take just a moment to fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. And you can drop that at a basket at any one of the exits, and there's a gift for you. Also, inside your bulletin church is a communication card. How, how uh, we're looking at part of our StratOps is about communication. How can we communicate better? So if you take a moment and fill out that survey, and uh, again, drop it in one of those baskets before you leave this morning, we would greatly appreciate uh, your input on uh, communicating with each other in the church, as well as us dispensing information about what, what is happening so, Shatter Dreams. Um, we began this uh, series, oh my goodness, five weeks ago. Um, so, we've been talking about um, emotional trauma, emotional hurt, pain. We, we said this is your life, your ba- this backpack, and it's, it's filled with rocks. And those rocks that are in this backpack, um, they are they're representing the things that have happened to you. So, some of the painful events that you have in your past, began very early in life, maybe in your childhood, and there's multiple things that can happen there. It might be that your parents divorced. It might be you had a parent that died. It might be that there was some kind of abuse in your life. There are a thousand and one different things that could happen to you that has created some kind of hurt, some kind of emotional damage within you, and you kind of stuffed those rocks in the backpack because you really wasn't sure what to do with it or how to deal with it, especially as a child. And so you just kind of learned how to live with it and skirt around it. Well, um, hurt does not stop at childhood all throughout the course of our lives. We are hurt by people. We are hurt by circumstances or events. And so if we do not learn how to develop emotional health, then it, um, ultimately it affects everybody around us. So I, I can't stuff hurt on the inside because it never remains just hurt. Uh, hurt always evolves. It evolves into anger, into bitterness, and resentment, and unforgiveness. And a lot of toxic emotions are happening within you. So we've been talking about how to establish some emotional habits that will help you to unpack this backpack so that you can live in the freedom that Jesus Christ came for you to live in. That is, you can unload these things so that they are not in the driver's seat of your life. You never want your emotions driving your life because it never ends up well. And so God wants to bring healing where there is hurt. So um, we've talked about emotions for the last five weeks, but these last three weeks in this series, I want to talk about not just not your emotions, but the mental side of you. That is your mind. Uh, it's great Uh, to understand and and say, okay, well, here's the emotional hurt and pain that I'm still dealing with from my past, but um, how do I I end up actually, you know, experiencing healing and and moving forward in my life in order to, you know, for God to just bring complete healing from that event that has transpired. So, We're going to look in uh, the life of David here for a moment, very familiar story, David and Goliath. We're going to spend three weeks on this story, talking about um, the mental side, and I call this message Facing Life's Giants, so there's no outline on the screen. I'll give you the fill in the blanks as as we come to them. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 
Back in chapter 16, remember David was very young. He was the tender of his father's sheep. He had several older brothers. Samuel was sent by God to anoint the next king of Israel. And, uh, of course, Eliab was the first one brought out because that was the oldest son of Jesse. And Samuel says he's not it. And so he brings out all the, the other sons. And, and God says, that's not the one. And then finally Samuel says to Jesse, do you have another son? Well, yeah, actually I do. He's out tending the sheep. They bring him in, and it's David. And God says, this is the one. This is the next king of Israel. So Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, but it would be many, many years before David actually took the throne. All right, so God has him going through a process, and in that process, God is molding and fashioning the life of David to be the person he needed to be in order to rule over the nation of Israel. And during the course of that time, David experienced some hurt and pain in his life. And we're going to see some of it right here. And just like you and I experienced those things. But if you allow God to use those things, to turn those things on their head, God can use them in order to prepare you for the next event that he has in your life. So shattered dreams do not have to remain shattered. Remember, we started off by looking at Joseph who had a dream. God gave him a dream. He'd one day rule over his brothers. They threw him in a pit and then you know, sold him off to some, a caravan going to Egypt, and he ended up in prison for several years. But God ultimately used those life crushings, those painful events in his life, to form and fashion him into the leader he needed to be in order to, in the later years, to save his entire family from a, a famine. And you'll find this same scenario happening over and over in Scripture. So here's the deal. Israel was constantly fighting with the Philistines. All right, So the Philistines, they were a warrior nation, constantly battling against the Israelites. And so here we come in 1 Samuel 17, and it's the epic battle between David and Goliath. And Goliath was the best warrior that the Philistines had and he's called like, he's, he's like the ringer, okay? He's like the best warrior. He comes out every day into the valley. Philistine armies on this side of the valley. Israel's armies on this side of the valley. Goliath comes in there every day. He's taunting the armies of Israel. He's saying to them, hey, send out your best soldier. I'll take him on. Now, remember, Goliath was a giant of a man. He's like nine feet, nine inches tall. That's over two feet taller than the Tallest NBA basketball player ever to play, which was Shaquille O'Neal, right? So, I mean, this guy is mammoth in size. He, he's got armor that weighs 125 pounds. He's got a spear that, you know, the tip of it alone weighs 15 pounds. And, and so he's like, this is like the first UFC fight match minus Dana White, okay? So he's just, he's just taunting Israel, their armies, and say, send somebody out. I'll fight them. If you defeat me... We, the Philistines, we will, we will surrender to you, the Israelites. But if we defeat you, you whoever you send out to be, you know, to war against me, then you have to, you know, it's, it's capitulated the other way. Now you're going to become, you know, slaves to us because you've lost the battle. So this is what's going on. For 40 days, every day, Goliath has gone out and taunted Israel and challenged someone to a fight. And nobody's budging. King Saul's not budging. His army is not budging. And so here's what it says in um, 1 Samuel chapter 
17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out the Philistine camps. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet. His head wore a coat, scale of armor, bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs, bronze. I mean, this guy's just mammoth in size. He's got this, all of this armor all over him. And, you know, he says, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I, am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come out down here, and if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve. And so then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right, so now all of a sudden David, his father Jesse, sends him to his brothers who are out here. They're part of the Israelite army. They're the ones standing there listening to this every day. And so Jesse says to David, in essence, hey, um, leave the sheep. I've got some Lunchables. Take them to your brother's. And find out what's going on. See how things are going. And so that's exactly what David does. And uh, <laughs> so when David arrives on the scene, he doesn't like what he's hearing. And he certainly doesn't like what he is seeing. And so this is interesting. So David, verse 26. So David asked the men standing near him. What would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, well, this is what will be done for the man and who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And so David says, he, you know, it was, he was overheard. It's reported to Saul, who's the king at the time. And Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight with him. Now, David's probably about 16 or 17 years old. All right? He's been a sheep herder. <laughs> He's not been a trained warrior. He's not been skilled in fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat. But he's ready to take on this Philistine, who's this giant of a man. Saul replies, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and bear came and carried off the sheep and the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of Israel, the living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. <laughs> and so Saul says to David, Well, go, the Lord be with you. <laughs> Then he tries to put, Saul takes off his armor, and he tries to put it on David. David puts it on. It's not working. So he takes it off. Says, uh, you know, I, I can't go in these things. 
So he took them off, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept close closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. (laughs) You see a little emotional, like Eliab's, you know, ragging on David. The king doesn't, you can't do this. You're you're not capable. Now Goliath is, is even after him. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Now, Why did David choose five smooth stones? Was he afraid he was going to miss? No. You'll find later on in Scripture, Goliath had four brothers. He figured he takes this guy out, he may have to take out some more. He wasn't wasn't betting on the fact that just because this Philistine said, you you defeat me, we're we're going to just bow to you guys. He figured there's probably going to be a war breakout. But as you know the rest of the story, we'll, we'll pick that up a little later, is that David takes on Goliath, and he says to Goliath exactly what God's going to do to him. And of course, David takes the stone, plants it right in his forehead. He goes down, he unsheaths the Goliath's sword, and he chops off his head just to make sure everything is final. And so that is the story of David and Goliath. And uh, why is that an important story, and what does that have to do with healing of our shattered dreams. Well, you can go to the gym every single day of your life. You can eat healthy. You can take your vitamins. You can get plenty of sleep in life. But if you don't take care of what's going on inside of your head, you will never be healthy. You may have a healthy body, but if you bury toxic emotions inside your soul, you're going to have an unhealthy soul. If you're constantly thinking toxic thoughts in your mind, you're going to have an unhealthy mind. You cannot have an unhealthy mind and an unhealthy soul and ultimately have a healthy body because they're all very closely linked together. And so oftentimes when we talk about God's healing we automatically assume just it's always God's healing physically. Yes, God heals physically. We believe that. We pray for that for people. But sometimes the, the source of their problem is not the physical body. The source of their problem is emotional toxicity that's flowing through their veins. And on top of that is that you have all this negative thoughts rolling around in your head And this is very, very important, and here's why it is. And this is your first fill-in-the-blank on your outline, so I'll make sure I give it to you. It's not on the board. Here's the big idea for today is that your life is always moving in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. So whatever those are for you, that's the direction your life is heading. You can't have dominant thinking in one direction and head in the opposite direction, at least not for very long, because you're always going to filter back to where you were. And so the rocks in your backpack that we struggle with on a daily basis, some people struggle with it every day, some people approach it by, well, I'll just self-medicate, 
You know, and there are multiple ways that you can do that, or I'll just avoid those things. I'll just shove it down. I'll avoid it. I'll act like it didn't happen. I'll suppress it. And in the end, our emotions get placed again in the driver's seats of our lives, and it never takes us to the place we want to go. And so Jesus says, here are some emotional habits you need to develop, and the last one that we looked at was that if you want to unpack the rocks of emotional hurt and pain and turmoil in your bag, you are going to have to exercise forgiveness, right? And that's one of the most difficult things for us to do as followers of Jesus Christ, is to forgive people who were the perpetrators of the hurt, pain that's going on inside of us. And and, and again... The reason why we struggle with this so much is because if you're the one doing the forgiving, you have to absorb the cost, right? So the Bible always says, forgive others just as Christ forgave you. When God forgave you of all of your sins, past, present, and future, when Jesus took all of that upon himself on the cross and drank of the cup of God's wrath on your behalf, who absorbed the cost in order for you to be extended God's forgiveness, he did, all right? So whenever I forgive somebody who has hurt me, I'm the one who is absorbing the cost. That's what Jesus gave in the parable of Matthew 18. He said, there's this guy, he owned the king a lot of money, more than he could ever pay in a lifetime. The king forgave him, which meant the king absorbed the cost of what he owed him, and then set the guy free, paid the debt, set him free. He went out, found somebody who owned him pennies, He couldn't pay it. He had him thrown in jail. And when the king found out about it, he was ripped. Well, this is what, what God is saying to us is that, listen, forgiveness, dealing with your emotions, you, 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 this is, this is a decision and it's a process. You have to make the decision to forgive. It's not for the benefit of the person you're forgiving necessarily, it's for the benefit of you. It's the only way you're going to unload these rocks. Now, as these rocks have been in your life, this hurt, this pain, this turmoil, you have begun to develop thought patterns that move along with that pain, all right, that helps you deal with the pain. Because most of the time when we are hurt, we make an interpretation of that hurt, and so Satan moves in, your enemy, and he begins to develop lie-based thinking in your thought patterns because he wants to keep you chained to the past and the hurt because he knows you cannot move forward in your life as long as you're being chained to the past. And if you keep this stuff rolling around inside of you, it will ultimately affect every relationship in life that is important to you. And it's not going to be in a positive way. And so this series about God extending his grace and his favor towards us that allows us to experience his supernatural power over our, our hurts. And so we are, we are called to participate. Now, here's why I read the story of David and Goliath. Because a lot of times you've probably heard messages on this passage and people say, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a David. I'm going to, I'm going to get my faith all ramped up, and I'm going to find me a sling and a stone, and I'm going after the enemy, and I'm going to knock him out and knock him down, and we'll roll him over, and yada, 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 And that lasts for about a nanosecond, right? And so we set out, we're going to take on Satan, and we're going to, you know, we're going to sling a stone right into his forehead, and we're going to make sure he never bothers us anymore. Doesn't work. And the reason why I know it doesn't work, tried it, been there, done that, doesn't work. 
Here's what I want you to know. You are not David in the story. Jesus is David in the story. Jesus said, I came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. It's Jesus who has the sling in his hand. It's Jesus who takes the stone and levels it right into the forehead of your enemy. Jesus is simply saying to us, we can walk in the victory that he has already forged before us if we will just follow him. All right, so this isn't about me taking on Satan. It's not about me. Listen, I... I understand Satan's very much involved in our lives. You know, I understand that he, he seeks to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. I just want you to know he's already defeated, okay? You're not the one. You're not the warrior. Jesus is the warrior. It's not that we don't have a part in the battle. Our part in the battle is to show up for the battle. Not stuff it. Not avoid it. Not hope it goes away, heals itself on its own. It's showing up to the battle to get these rocks out of the backpack, to get your thought processes correctly in your mind so that you begin living in the freedom that Jesus came to establish for your life. This is the power of salvation, the power to save and to heal and to deliver. And the truth is ever, every season of life has its difficulties, right? Every season of life has its battles. And, uh, but you've got to show up for the battle. And you've got to embrace the training process. Because failure to do so is going to result in two things. It, first of all, it will result in the failure to be able to walk in your destiny. Right? We are destined to overcome our giants and to accomplish great feats for the kingdom of God. David later would find this out the hard way. All right? As long as David was following what God wanted him to do and walking in faith and follow, as God was carving the pathway for him, did David have difficulties? Yes. Did David have problems? Yes. Were there seasons in his life? Where, yeah, absolutely. But he never got into trouble until, unless... All of a sudden, his mind took a shift, and he decided to go a different direction other than God's direction. All right, so the second thing that failure in this area is that to, if you fail to show up, it's going to result in leaving these undefeated giants in your life, which impacts everybody around you. And we've talked about that a lot, so I will not harp on that any longer. So here is the thing. If you believe you are a victim... That's entrenched in your belief system and your thought processes. You will live like a victim. Like everything's outside of your control. You, there's nothing you can do about the hurt and pain that's in your life any longer. You're just going to have to tolerate and try to deal with it as best as you can. If you believe that you can overcome through the power of Christ, you can overcome. If you're always looking at the problems and dwelling on the problems, your problems will overwhelm you. Instead, if you're looking for solutions and, you, and looking for the work of God in the midst of those solutions, you're going to find the work of God in those solutions. How you think is very, very important in life. The mind is the battleground in which we fight the battle. The battle is won and lost right here between your temples. Because if you can change your thoughts, you can change the course of your life. So I want to give you a little test this morning as we kind of jump out of the gate here. I'm, I'm going to give you a thought audit, and this is on your outline. I've got six word, words on your outline, and so worried versus peaceful, negative versus positive, worldly versus eternal. So we're just going to look at these briefly. I'll, when you think, when you, what you think about 
through the course of your day, which side of this scale do you fall on most likely? How many of you are worried about what people think about you or your children or your future? How many of you worry about money, your job, um, your health, how long I'm going to preach today? Uh, you know, how many of you are worried about all these different things versus those who have a peaceful mind, who rest well at night, who are not filled with anxiety about what tomorrow may bring and may have in store for you? What do you think about? Is your mind characterized more by worry or by peace? You mark, the, you mark it, right? What about negative versus positive? Are you generally a negative, critical person? Can you, you know, like, I can't believe what she wore. What does she think she's doing? I can't believe he walks acting like that. You know, do you find fault in others easily? Are you very discontented? Do you feel like life is always hard? It's going to get worse? Are you negative in your mindset? Do you battle with negative thoughts about yourself, such as I'm stupid, I'm, I'm so worthless, I'm unlovable, I'm a failure as a parent, I'm a failure as a spouse? Or... Does your mind tend towards more positive things? Is that, that what you think about most of all? I believe the best in people. Life is generally good, and I believe in the goodness of God, and I believe he's for me and not against me, and I believe that he's working all these things out for my good and his glory. Are you generally negative or positive in your mindset? Are you generally worldly or eternal in your thought processes? Would you say that you're more worldly or thrown? That is, do you think about things in the world Okay, that means like I'm only thinking in terms of how's this going to benefit me, you know, what I get, what I have, what I want, or are you more eternally minded, thinking about the benefits of the kingdom and how we can, I can help others experience the same benefits in the kingdom? What do you think about the most when you are in these areas of your life? What you are unveiling are pathways that you have cut. They are ruts in the brain, the thought process of your brain. You have 50 to 60,000 thoughts every single day, and 80 to 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts you had yesterday. So if you cut these negative ruts in your thought processes, and your life is always traveling towards what you think about the most, Guess which direction your life's going to be heading? And that's what God wants to up in. That's what God wants to change. No matter what you do, no matter what you have, no matter who you know, what you buy, where you live, you cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. It's impossible. Your thoughts really do matter. So here's the second built fill in the blank. Toxic thoughts, because that's what these, if your mind's filled... Worried, negative, worldly, toxic thoughts become your default thoughts. The more you think a thought, the easier it is to think it again and again and again and again and again and again, and it automatically becomes your default thought process. So what your thoughts focus on is like walking across the grass, you know, you, you wear a path and and so you're, you're literally cutting like neurological pathways in your brain. And even scientists know all about this. There's much that has been written on it in our day and time. And so you're, you're creating these pathways, which makes that thought even easier to come up again. And so we gravitate towards that many, many times a day. So the key is to choose something 
different. In other words, when a thought is a default thought, it's just automatic. All right? So let's say I'm still carrying my, my bag. Okay? I've got a lot of hurt from childhood. I've, I've shared a lot of that out of my own life. Carrying this hurt in childhood, somebody comes up to me and says something that's kind of negative. But it's not like overly negative. Normally, you know, you would just like, oh, whatever. Uh, but no, because I'm still carrying all this toxicity, and my mind is constantly going through this process of, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless, and nobody likes me, and people don't care about me, and so they make this little negative comment. What, what is, where does my default thought process go? Right to the negative, right? Automatic. Boom. I'm, I'm on the negative. So now I start feeling bad about myself. I start feeling insecure about myself. I start having these feelings all over again like I'm worthless. And, and get, watch this. My mind will go right back to the event where all this started, like it happened yesterday. I remember the person, what they said, how it was said, how I felt at the time, because I have not retrained my mind surrounding these rocks that were in my backpack. So the mistake that we make is that we try to unload all this emotional trash out of our lives without changing the process of our thinking, and, but you're going to default right back to that stuff because you've not changed anything here. Does that make sense? You with me? Man, I, I've, I've lived this a lot and uh, have dealt with this just like you probably have. And so when you don't feel good about yourself and your default thought is, I just... For some of you, the thought is like, I just need to eat something. I'll feel better, right? So that's your coping mechanism. So you just jump in and you, but you never choose anything healthy. You ever notice that? It's like, man, I'll just create, I'll just like, you know, give me a box of ding-dongs or, you know, Twinkies, you know. Like, you know they have no nutritional value, right? So, but you just like polish it off because, you know, you're going to feel better about yourself. But after you get it all done, you need to feel worse about yourself. So here's the deal. Here's the next fill in the blank. Changing your thoughts can change your life. The Bible says if you change the way you think, you have the power to change your life. How would your life be different if you started changing the way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about life? There is no area of your life that is untouched by your thoughts. None. And so this is so, so important. The secret conversations you hold in the privacy of your mind are shaping your life day in and day out and forging in front of you a destiny. And so failure to take these thoughts and to, and to take them captive and to do something different with them is that you're gonna, you can miss the destiny God has for you because you're just like powering through in your own way and destiny and based on all your negativity in your own life. And so these are what is called strongholds. So here's your next fill in the blank. A stronghold is a mental fortress from which Satan can operate. All right? So he like sets up camp in your mind, in your thought processes, because he understands that he is guiding and directing your life not based on truth, but he's guiding and directing your life based on lies. Remember what Jesus says? He is the father of lies. That's all he does. So watch this. When my dad abandoned our family, and I had thoughts that I'm worthless, I had feelings of rejection, 
And, and those thoughts even began to grow from worthlessness and, and a sense of being unlovable. And so, you know, when I tried to start dealing with this stuff, now, now post-Jesus, Jesus comes into my life and he, he wants to transform my life. But guess what I brought into that relationship? All of my baggage from the past. And Jesus says, listen, we got to unpack this bag. we got to get this rock out of here. we got to heal this thing up emotionally. we got to cut some new ruts in your thought processes so you stop feeling worthless and like nobody likes you or cares about you every time somebody says negative things about you because otherwise it's your default mechanism and you're never going to actually heal from all that happened back here until we start changing the way that you're thinking about yourself so the next time it's like the spirit challenges me who said you're worthless all right we're going to talk next week about challenging the source of your thoughts because if you challenge the source, you need to know what the source of those thoughts are. Is that something I thought up on my own? Is that something Satan's interjecting in my thought? Is this, is this from God? All right, so nowhere in the scripture has God ever said that I am a worthless human being. So what do you think the source of that thought came from? All right, so from my enemy, the evil one, right, Satan. But what Satan wants me to do is to keep that thought process as my default thinking process because now I just keep myself beat down, right? I'm, not, I'm worthless. God can't love me. I've blown it. He can't forgive me of that. Life will never go on, you know. Now watch this, Christians. If you don't think you have this default thought process, how many of you, when something bad happens, your immediate thought is, I wonder what I did to tick off God. I wonder why he's allowing that to happen. He's, he, he's got to give you, he, he knows about what I did, right? This is not the relationship God wants to have with you. So there are five, I'm going to just give them to you real quick. There are five, in this story, there are five mental strongholds that we find in this story where Satan will set up camp in your life just as he was seeking to do in the life of David and those who are a part of this story. So the first one is this. It is fear. All throughout this story, you'll read the fact that the armies of Israel were afraid. King Saul was afraid. They're afraid of Goliath. They're terrified. Ain't nobody stepping off the side of that hill to go down and take that guy on. They're afraid of dying, right? They don't think they can defeat this guy because they think the battle was theirs when the battle wasn't theirs, the battle was God. How in the world would a 16-year-old kid with a sling and a stone defeat a 9-foot-9 nine nine giant with all this armor and an armor bearer out in front of him if it wasn't God doing the battling? All right, so God's, Jesus is our battler. He's the one who's fighting on our behalf. But fear can keep us from moving outside of our self-bound limitations. And fear can taunt us, but it does not have to have ultimate power over us. Jesus is the ultimate power. The giant of fear is already dead. It's already been defeated. In the name of Jesus, the giant of fear must fall. Fear shows up as flat-out, sometimes terror, anxiety, Nervousness, worry, stress, dread, tension, stomach problems, they are all cousins of fear, and faith is always the antidote to our fear. My confidence is in God, the giant slayer, because there are, there's a deeper cause here in your fear, right? 
fear, for many of us, our fears have been conditioned. Some of you grew up in homes. Your parent or parents were warriors. I mean, they worried about everything. Guess what happened to you? You were preconditioned because worry is just the cousin of fear. And so you, you've been conditioned to be fearful about everything. You're, you're fearful about what hap- may happen tomorrow. And so you live in the what if syndrome. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And so what if Jesus came along? He said, listen, stop borrowing into tomorrow. You have no control over tomorrow. You need to live today and just focus here. I'm the fear slayer. Just keep your eyes set on me and I'll get you through this. Some of you were conditioned in the environment that you grew up to become a fearful person. You ever heard some of the things that we say? I mean, okay, you go over to visit a friend. (laughs) They hand you their brand new baby. And so let's say your fear-worrying mother is with you, and first words out of her mouth, don't drop the baby, don't drop it. Don't hold her too tight, don't... All right, some of you, fear comes from concealing. Anytime you conceal something major under the hood of your life, fear is allowed to flourish. And this is the pattern. You know, we make mistakes and, and we, don't, you know, we don't deal with them, we don't confess them, we've got hurts, we have buried all this stuff, and we just keep concealing, keep concealing, keep concealing. And over time, we have conditioned ourselves to become very fearful because those feelings of shame and feelings of embarrassment and feelings of... Um, You know, anxiety and all those things just keep stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. And so you have concealed that stuff within you. And so now your life and your your life is fear-driven because your thoughts are fear-driven. This is where the army is, right? This is where King Saul. King Saul should have been the rightful one to go out on that battlefield. But yeah, I ain't going. (laughs) Maybe somebody else go, but I'm not heading out there. And sometimes we all right, so sometimes fear. Um, displays itself through the fact that we just try to control everything. You know why you become a control freak? Because you're afraid. And you think that if you're in control, everything will be okay. You ever tried to live that way? Be in control? How many things are you actually get in control of? You can't even control yourself let alone anything else. Fear-driven. Fear as the model. Here's number two, the rejection. Rejection. Nobody wants to be looked over and left out. Maybe, um, maybe some form of rejection in the past has festered in you. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of riddled you with insecurity and a sense of insignificance and abandonment. Maybe it was a father who didn't stick around like my dad. Maybe it was a spouse who left you. Maybe it was a parent that died. And all of a sudden, there's this subtle form of rejection or maybe harsh words from somebody. You know, you you could never live up to your, your parents' expectations, and it was never good enough. And so rejection has cousins. Their names are insecurity, low self-esteem, low self-worth, inferiority, self-hate, and they are driven to succeed They're driven to win at all costs, to be an overachiever. And so you feel worthless. You only feel valuable when you're able to perform adequately. And for some of you, that's the the stronghold. We'll We'll drill down on these next week a little bit further. Number three is comfort. Comfort. Um, So, yeah, 
in verse 16, uh, you'll notice that when David comes on the scene and, and uh, he's, he's trying to figure out what, what is going on, and so there are those who are saying, well, um, the nation of Israel, they've just found that, you know, it's just that they've been there for 40 days, and David comes into the camp to his older brothers, Goliath's taunting, and in the minds of those of the Israelite soldiers, they're like, nope, not today, not going out there. We're going back to our tent of comfort, <laughs> and we're just going to have a meal, and we'll talk about, okay, we'll talk about what we should do with Goliath, but ain't nobody going to step on the battlefield. They've been doing this for 40 days. They just keep retreating to their comfort zone. And so sometimes the reason we can't go with God is because we keep retreating to our comfort zone because if you're going to go with God, it's going to require faith, and faith means trust. And so if fear keeps driving me back to my comfort zone, and it's like, well, God, I understand what you're asking. I understand what you're saying, but you know what? That's so uncomfortable, I, I just can't bring myself to do that. It's kind of like a baby bird in the nest. You know, this time of the year, they're in the nest. They love it up there, right? Mama bird is bringing me food. I've got safety here. I've got protection. I've got a nice little warm place to sleep. But eventually, what does the mother bird do? All right, it's time to fly. <laughs> I'm kicking you out of the nest. Here you go. Isn't that true in our relationship with God that oftentimes that's our picture of our life with Christ? It's like a nest. We feel safe and comfortable and sheltered. and You meet all of our needs and take care of us. And, and yet faith comes along and says, it's time to get out of the nest. It's time for you to learn to fly. It's time for you to learn to go forward, but you can't because your mind won't let you. You're stuck in this comfort zone. The next one's anger. I mean, how many times? Again, Eliab was super angry with uh, David, so much so that he even, he even questioned his motives. I know why you came down here. I know what your heart's like. No, you don't. But he projected that upon um, David, and so that's why dealing with rejection is so important because most anger is rooted in rejection. It's a wound, it's a stab, it's a hurt. Here's the last one, is that of addiction. Um, you know, David, King Saul says, hey, you can't do this. Here, here's my armor. I think that Saul was giving David his armor because he felt guilty, right? Because he was addicted to comfort also. I'm not taking on this guy. Here, take my armor. I, I, it's like he was covering up for the fact that he wasn't going to go out on the battlefield. Now, when I say addiction, most people say automatically, well, you know, it's about drug addiction, alcohol addiction. No, we are addicted to a lot of things in our society. We are the most um, overstimulated generation in history. We have 900 channels on our direct TVs, and then we complain we're bored. How do you do that? Right? Back in my day, when I grew up, you had four channels. And then you had to fool with those antennas, you know, put the, yeah, you had to put this, you know, uh, aluminum foil on them. Somebody had to hold them just right. And nobody could ever find the dial to the TV, so you had to get out a pair of pliers to change channels with it, the four channels that you had, which were in black and white. You know, when I got sent to my room, it was actually punishment, you know, because I didn't have a computer and Wi-Fi and, you know, streaming videos and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Addiction is all kinds of things. It's what you think you need to keep on going can be your addiction. It's what you think you cannot live without. 
And we're enslaved to these things, and and they're habits that we can't break. And most addiction is rooted in pain, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain, or economic pain. And so when Saul tried to give David his armor, here's the lesson. Your confidence in God will never come by walking in somebody else's story. Your faith in God has to be forged on your own. You can't live a secondhand faith. My kids can't live off my faith. I can talk about God. I can share story after story about God's faithfulness. But at some point in time, they had to themselves get pushed out of the nest and start walking by faith themselves. They couldn't wear my armor. They couldn't wear my wife's armor. They had to start wearing their own armor called the armor of God found in Jesus Christ. And so that's how you begin the process of, hey, we're going to tear down these strongholds. I'm not going to let my mind be shaped and formed and fashioned any longer by these mental strongholds because these are not of God. God has a better plan. So here's the first two steps, and I'll just give them to you real quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll take, the, take it up tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. Number one is select, select the number one stronghold that is holding you back, and you know what it is, right? The number one stronghold, what's the lie, what's the deception of the enemy that's keeping you from living the life that God wants you to to live? All you have to do is listen to your self-talk that happens in your mind, right? If your self-talk is, I'm never going to be good enough. My past is bad. After all I've done, God can't forgive me. He can't use me. I can't trust anybody. I can't get close to anyone after they, what they did to me. You know, on and on and on, right? There's your stronghold. What's that stronghold rooted in? Well, it's going to be rooted in one of these five categories or more than one. Fear, rejection. So that, that's the basis of your thought processes. Why is that important? Because... Whenever you have a thought in your brain, it's literally redesigning itself around that thought. Every single thought creates a neurochemical change in your body. Think positive thoughts, it releases dopamine, the natural feel-good drug. Some of you just woke up because I said something about drugs. Drugs? We got drugs? (laughs) We got legal drugs, okay? Okay. I'll give you a prescription for them. They'll give you a buzz, a quick hit, a thrill. For example, if you post something on Facebook, and man, people are liking it, liking it, liking it, and they're putting in your newsfeed, man, this is the greatest thing, da, 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 da. Literally, dopamine releases from the brain and gives you that feel good. But the opposite happens. The opposite also happens within your mind, right? If they don't like it, and they're criticizing you about it, and you know, challenging you, then all of a sudden you feel back. What, where's, your, where's your thoughts going to go? Back to your default thought process. So it might be, oh, I know, I'm worthless, I'm no good, nobody cares about me. On and on we go. Number two, you take that thought captive. You can read 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We're going to drill down on that next week. But take your thought captive, which means that you need to take that thought and you need to, whatever your stronghold, you need to find the truth that counteracts that false lie. Jesus says that it's the truth that will set you free. 
Lies cannot stand against truth. You must reroute your thought processes around truth and not the lies that you develop on the basis of the hurt and the interpretation of that hurt that happened in your life so long ago or even recently, maybe yesterday. Right? Your mind is the battlefield. Every thought you don't take captive, it will take you captive. Every emotion, attitudes, behaviors are feeding off those toxic thought patterns in your mind. And so thoughts like, I'm a failure, instead of, I failed. You see the difference? Let's say something didn't go right. Your, immediately de- your immediate default thought process, I'm a failure. So what's the positive side of that? Well, I tried something and it failed. Okay. I, I-, I learned from that. We'll, we'll try it different next time. There's the difference. You may, see, when you say I'm a failure, you make it descriptive as though that were true. But God says it's a lie of the enemy. Why would Satan want us to believe a lie as truth? Because he knows that we will act on that lie as if it were truth, even though it is not. And it will govern and control and direct your life in a way that's going to cause you to miss out on what God wants you to ultimately experience. And so freedom, here's the last fill in the blank, freedom comes memory by memory, lie by lie. Now watch this. Here's what I don't want you to do. When I said get your strongest stronghold, your your number one stronghold, don't give me 15 Paul, Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me and I move, right? Not these 15 things. You're not going to tackle 15 thought processes at a time because that's just going to wear you out and, and frustrate you. What's the strongest stronghold you deal with mentally? Let's start there. Come back next week. I'm going to show you how to unearth that thing. Get that thing removed from your thought processes and instill something better in your thought processes. And if you, will do, if you will follow the pattern I'm going to give you with every memory, memory by memory, hurt by hurt, thought by thought, that's what Paul meant by do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye renewed by the transforming of your mind. Because the mind is the control center of your life. It's the battlefield of your life. But Jesus came as your David in order for you to have victory over the lies of the old thought processes in your mind and to instill a new software that will enable you to experience true, authentic healing and freedom. Let's pray together. So, Father, we pray today that, that you do, Lord, that you just some, set some captives free with your truth today. I know that the enemy is, is here, he's alive, he's well, and he's just like trying to hound our thought process as well. This will never work, it can't happen for you, you're, you're a unique case, and all those negative thoughts and those lies that he's trying to instill. Father, many are here today, their thoughts are overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and negative thinking and worry, and whatever it is we want, God, we just want some pathways of truth to be downloaded into their their minds. So Lord, please help us. Please help us in taking these first two steps this week.
towards renewing our minds and ultimate freedom. I pray for those who need to choose a different road, that they will, they will choose a different roadway of truth, your truth, that you will help us to recognize the truth and to walk in it. Now, with your heads bowed, for some of you here today, your, your problem is you have wrong beliefs about God. And Satan will often tell you things, hey, God doesn't care about you. After what you've done, God can never love you. Hey, you've been that way far too long. You need to really earn back God's love after all you've done. And so some of you have spent your life trying to earn God's acceptance, to feel that acceptance, to feel the love of your heavenly father. I have good news. God in his love and mercy became one of us through his son, Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, perfect in every way. God, God loved us so much that he rejected religion. Jesus came to build relationship. Jesus embraces us. Jesus was perfect. We are not. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave as the perfect sacrifice. Why? So that anyone, and that includes you, who calls on the name of Jesus, you can be saved and forgiven and transformed. You are not made right with God because of your works. You're made right with God because of the perfect works of Jesus. And when you place your faith and your trust in him, his perfect truth will begin setting you free. He will unload the shame and the guilt from your life. When you call upon his name, he forgives. He makes you new. He doesn't just save you from your sin. He fills you with his Holy Spirit to live a life of joy and abundance on this earth. And if you want to embrace the truth, then you may say something today like, Jesus, I give you my life. Save me, Jesus. Forgive my sin. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. Teach me your ways so I can show your love and your truth and just have that sown into my life that I may be able to live it out before others. I want to glorify your name. My life is not my own. I give it to you. And if that's your prayer of faith, that's exactly what Jesus will do for you. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to have our closing song. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart, I'd love to pray with you before you leave today, just a prayer of thanksgiving over you. You can come while we're singing, or you can come after the service. I'll, ring, I'll hang out here at the front. Man, I just want you to know the truth. Jesus is your David. He's already defeated your enemy. Your Goliath is dead, but he can still be deadly like cutting off the head of a snake. It can still bite. But even when it does, it does not have to ruin your life. You can continue to walk in freedom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done. In his name we pray, amen.